in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead. And in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of harm. The Lord will repay him for what he has done. You too should be on your guard against him because he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to my support, but everyone deserted me. May it not be held against them. But the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Priscilla and Aquila and the household of Anisiphorus. Erastus stayed in Corinth, and I left Trophimus ill in Miletus. Do your best to get here before winter. Euvolus greets you, and so do Pudens, Linus, and Claud Claudia, and all the brothers and sisters. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you all. Amen. Now, um, I, uh, as I say, keep 2 Timothy 4 open, if you would. That'd be great. And I want to start um, by giving you a simple uh, timeline. A timeline of your life or my life, okay? Um, you're born here and you die here, okay? Pretty simple, as I said. Um, now, um, I would say that the most important moment in my timeline so far uh, is not um, the day Susanna and I got married. It's not the day I became rector here. It's not the day I was runner-up in the under-11 tennis singles at school. Um, but the um, most important moment in my life so far was about here. Age 17, uh, when I put my trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, when I started out as a Christian. 
But what I want to say to each one of us today is this. What is more important is not so much starting well as a Christian, sort of this little bit here. Actually, what is more important than starting well as a Christian? What's more important is finishing well as a Christian. How you and I, we finish our lives as a Christian. That is more important than that. Up on the, there, the red bit is more important than the orange bit. And that has really been the message of 2 Timothy, this New Testament letter that we've been looking at over the last couple of months at HTC. It's the Apostle Paul's final letter that he ever wrote before he died. And today we're looking at chapter four, uh, the final chapter in the final letter before Paul died. Paul's last words, that's what we're looking at. Paul's last words showing us how Paul finished his life as a Christian. Now, some of us here, we will not yet have put our trust in Jesus. And I want to encourage you, if that's you today, I want to encourage you that actually there's nothing more important than you could do today, and you could do that even today, you could put your trust in Jesus as your Lord, as your Savior, start a new life with him. You could do that today if you wanted to, and that would be the most wonderful thing. You could do what I did when I was age 17. But amongst most of us gathered here this morning, I would guess most of us, we have begun a relationship with Jesus Christ. Some of us here will be young Christians. Some of us will still be in that bit. Maybe we've done an Alpha course recently. We've come to faith in Jesus. Uh, maybe we're in the first few years of being a Christian. Uh, others of us here will sort of be further along. And actually, we've been a Christian for, for loads of years, decades, we've been a Christian. But for all of us, what I want us to recognize today is that the most important thing is this bit. How you and I finish well as a Christian. Being able, each one of us, being able at the end of our life to, as Paul says to his, his young protege Timothy, being able to say, verse seven, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. That's the big question. Will you and I be able to say that like Paul did? Because it is not guaranteed. I think of someone very close to me. Uh, he made a profession of faith when he was 15. But then three years later, as he was accepted by Cambridge to go to university there, at the very same time, he was rejecting his faith in Jesus, throwing it all in. And he started so well. He had a, a real passion for Jesus. His, his Bible, if you picked up his Bible, it was full of underlining and highlighting in it. He'd led on Christian camps as a young leader. He'd even given talks. He'd been the head of his school Christian union. He seemingly started so well as a Christian in those first three years. But then he threw it all in, age 18. And it's now 24 years since then, and he is still rejecting Jesus. And it is one of the greatest sadnesses in my life. And this person, the reason, the reason that he didn't keep going with his faith in Jesus was the same as we see for Demas in verse 10, if you look there. You see, Paul, when he's writing this second letter to Timothy, if you just wind the clock back a year previously, Paul, just a year previously, he was writing another letter to the Christians in Colossae, known as Colossians in the New Testament. And if you read through Colossians, you'll read there of Demas. And Paul says Demas is one of his closest companions. And then here we have, just a year later, and what does Paul say about Demas? Verse 10, he says, Demas, 
because he loved this world, has deserted me. That's why some people do not finish well as Christians, because of their love for this world. It might be the love of sex or money or power or comfort or popularity, whatever it is, that their loves for those things become greater than their love for Jesus, and Jesus slowly gets sidelined. It's about so often people starting to love the gifts more than they love the giver. Other people, they don't finish well as a Christian. Not so much because of their love for the world, but rather actually because of, I guess you call it because of their hatred for the truth. Look at verse three of chapter four. Look at what Paul writes. He says, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. See what Paul's saying there? He's saying these people, they're deciding to listen with their ears to a made-up gospel. And that is what they want to hear. This sort of made-up gospel where there's nothing challenging in it at all, where there's nothing countercultural. It's not the true gospel of Jesus. They've just sort of made it up. It suits their own desires, says Paul. And Alexander, the metal worker, in verses 14 and 15, seems to be an example of that. If you look at what's written there, Paul writes of verse 15, he says, you too should be on your guard against Alexander because he strongly opposed our message. And you see, for each one of us here today, however long you or I have been a Christian, we need to hear that, that sober warning. I'm sure we can think of people in our own lives where actually that love of this world or, or that hatred of the truth stopped them from finishing the Christian life well. And we need to hear it because it can be so relevant, so challenging for us. I'm sure each one of us will know in different ways where the love of the world or the hatred for the truth, or I find that thing difficult about being a Christian, those things cause us to question whether we will run that race wholeheartedly with Jesus. But you see, unlike Demas, whose love for the world or unlike Alexander, whose hatred for the truth, here we've got writing Paul. And Paul's writing, and he's there. He's in chains. Paul's in prison. He is struggling. He is suffering. He's writing his letter. He's soon to die. And look at what he says. Look at verse 6. He says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. And over the course of the last two months, as we've been working through the first three chapters of this letter to Timothy, again and again, what we've been seeing is that Paul has told Timothy what to do. He said to Timothy, he said to Timothy, here is what to do to finish life well as a follower of Jesus. Here's what to do. That's the first three chapters. That is, if you like, the charge given to Timothy. And it, what to do is very simple. Paul says it again and again through the first three chapters. He says, well, it's really the title of our sermon series, Not Ashamed. This is what to do, he says. He says, don't be ashamed. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. But instead, this is what to do. Do pass the gospel on. Do pass Jesus on. Do tell others about Jesus. That's what to do 
to finish well as a Christian. But as Paul wraps up, as he gets to chapter 4, this chapter that we're looking, in a sense, if you like, he's got a slightly different emphasis. In chapter 4, it's not so much about what we should do to finish well. Not so much what we should do, but rather it's what we should believe. What you and I should believe to finish well as a follower of Jesus. Because so often it's the case, isn't it? That what we believe, what we believe drives our actions in life. What we believe impacts what we then go on and do. Now, I want to tell you about a, a, um, a new friend of mine. I've got a new friend, which is very exciting, um, and his name is Mark. Uh, Mark's age 31. Uh, he's just got married to the wonderful Jules. They got married last um, month in uh, Italy. And uh, Susanna and I, we met Mark and Jules because they came on the pre-marriage course here uh, a few months ago. And um, what happens in the pre-marriage course is we had about 40 couples uh, here, all engaged couples, and every single one of the couples, they get given a support couple um, who, in part of the course, uh, they go and meet with the support couple, have a meal in the evening, and talk about and think through what it means to get married and become husband and wife. And, and Mark and Jules, they had the delightful joy of Susanna and me being their support couple. I'm sure they were hoping for someone else, but there we go. But um, uh, Mark is wonderful. Mark's, he, he's a big guy, he's tall, he's Irish, uh, and he has quite a story. Uh, when he was 18, uh, Mark uh, headed off to Australia um, because he was planning to be a professional rugby player. A brilliant rugby player, and he went off to Australia to play rugby. And being there, after a few months, he had a few days off, and him and a few friends, they went on a little trip to New Zealand uh, for a few days. And when they were in New Zealand, they were on a bus, and when they were on the bus, Mark had a massive cardiac arrest. He had uh, CPR, everyone thought he was gonna die. His parents flew out to New Zealand thinking they were gonna be picking up their dead 18-year-old son. But after six days in a coma, Mark woke up. Uh, and he had a, a pacemaker and a defibrillator fitted. Uh, he was diagnosed as having sudden adult death syndrome. Uh, and understandably, from that moment on, everything in his life changed for him. That, that sort of close run-in with death caused him to examine every single aspect of his life. Now, now Mark's not yet a Christian, but he is spiritually seeking. Mark is a thinker, uh, he's a talker, he's an explorer, he's an amazing man. He's actually here, him and Jules are here, I won't point them out though. Um, and what he's been doing in the years since then, since this near-death experience, he's been working out how to approach life in light of almost dying. And he's been working out how to approach life so much that a few years ago, Mark wrote a book. And his book is called Death my guidance counselor. And the subtitle of the book is How Death Says You Should Live Your Twenties. And it is a fascinating read, available on Amazon, um, that Mark will pay me later. Um, um, because, um, it's a fascinating read uh, because it is, if you like, it's a lived out example of how what you believe, what you believe influences how you live your life. Mark and I, just on Friday, we met up uh, for a beer in one of the pubs in Clapham just for a couple of hours, and we chatted about all this. Now, it wouldn't be right for me to share all of what we chatted about, but I think I can share uh, what Mark has written in his book, because you can go out and read it, and you'll see it all there. 
But basically, what, as we talked, I said to Mark, I said, I said, your book, there's lots in it that I totally agree with. Lots in it. There's such wisdom in it. It's really brilliant. There's lots I agree with, but actually, I said, there's, there's, there's a few bits in your book that I don't agree with. And it comes from us having a different belief. So Mark and I, we believe different things about, you know, what happens after death. We, we believe different things about humans and, uh, and where we get our worth and value from. We believe different things about God and God's existence, God's character. And it's those different beliefs that lead to why if I was writing a book about how you should live out your 20s, it wouldn't be nearly as good as Mark's. But I'd say things in that book that would be exactly the same as what he said. I'd say things that are in his book that I wouldn't have thought of, uh, and he's thought of them, and they're brilliant stuff, and I totally agree with them as I, write, as I read them. But I would also say there are some things that I would write in a book that would be different to what Mark, would, Mark has written because of my belief in Jesus, because of my belief in God's word. And it's exactly the same kind of principle that we're getting here in 2 Timothy chapter 4. What we, what we believe, says Paul, what we believe will impact how you or I live. And in Paul's last ever words, what he is doing is he's telling us two things that every single one of us here, two things that we all need to believe if we want to finish well our lives as a follower of Jesus. So what are those two things you're thinking well, listen up. Here they are. This is so key for every single one of us here. What are the two things we need to believe to finish well as a Christian? They come in verse 1. Look at verse 1. It's, it, verse 1, if you like, is a sort of summary verse of the whole chapter. And you can tell it's the summary verse because I, I'll read it in a second. But, but basically, the, the ideas in verse 1 keep on getting repeated through the rest of the chapter. This is what he says in verse 1. He says, he says in the presence of God... And of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. So there's Paul saying, he's saying there are two things that each one of us need to believe. Number one, first half of the verse, the presence of Jesus in the present. In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. That's the first thing you need to believe, the presence of Jesus in the present. And then the second thing you and I need to believe is the judgment of Jesus in the future. That's the second half of the verse. You can see it there. Let me take both of those very briefly in turn. First of all, the presence of Jesus in the present. That idea, the presence of Jesus in the present, that comes up again in verse 17. So have a look at verse 17. Verse 17. Paul says, but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength. See there, he's saying that Jesus was present with him in the present. Now, I take it Jesus was not literally, physically with Paul in the present. Jesus had already ascended to heaven at that point. So what does Paul mean? I think he means the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of Jesus is with Paul. And maybe this morning, some of you here, for all sorts of different reasons, maybe you're feeling isolated at the moment. Maybe you're feeling alone. Maybe you're feeling deserted. Maybe you're feeling let down by somebody that you trusted. And these words are you, for you today. The Lord stood at my side, and he gave me strength. Do you need to hear that today, I wonder? 
Jesus Christ present with you in the present by his spirit, God strengthening you right now in the midst of isolation and struggle and difficulty. And I want you just to notice what this strengthening is for. Jesus is strengthening us, not just so we can sort of feel fuzzy and warm. That's great if we do feel fuzzy and warm as he strengthens us, but that's not the primary reason that he's strengthening us. Look at how the verse continues. He says, the Lord stood at my side. He gave me strength. Why? So that through me the message might be fully proclaimed so that I can pass the gospel on. See, when you're feeling down, when you're struggling, when everyone has deserted you, as Paul was experiencing, perhaps some close Christian friends have moved away or you've moved away from them, either physically, relationally, whatever it might be, perhaps for some here you're feeling in the minority as a Christian in your workplace, whatever it may be, will you trust that Jesus Christ, by his Spirit, is present with you right now? That Jesus Christ, he stands by your side to strengthen you. And he stands by your side to strengthen you, not just so you can feel better, as great as that is, but he stands by your side so that he strengthens you so that you can go out and proclaim the message of Jesus better in your daily life. How are you going to finish well as a Christian? By believing the presence of Jesus in the present right now with you. And then second, here's the second belief you need to hold on to. The judgment of Jesus in the future. Now, often, isn't it the case, when we think about future judgment, often we sort of think of it as a sort of quite a challenging thing. And there is that sense, you know, of each one of us, we have to stand before Jesus Christ as our judge and give an account of our life. Verse 1 says, he will judge the living and the dead. But actually, as you read on, this is the surprise of chapter 4, as you read on... The idea of Jesus being our judge in the future, it's not actually written so much as a challenge, it's written as an encouragement for you and me. Just look down, would you, at verse 7. Look at verse 7, he says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I've kept the faith, then, verse 8, here we go. He says, now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord Jesus, the righteous judge, here he is, the judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but to all who have longed for his appearing. So do you see in that verse, Paul is writing about our life as like a race. It's like a marathon. We're each running a race. He says, I've run the race. I've kept going. And now there is in store for me the crown, which athletics winners back then, it was like a medal. It was what you got when you won the race. Here is the crown I've got. You see, the judgment of Jesus Christ in the future, it is an encouragement for you and me to keep going, running to the end of our lives, with Christ, as it were, there at the end of our lives, ready to wrap, not sort of a silver blanket like they do in the marathon, but to wrap his own arms around us as we meet him at death, face to face, and he takes us in his embrace. We had that joy of being with Jesus, our judge, for eternity. Now think back, if you would, to our uh, lives, my um, high-quality drawing over here. Um, it, it wasn't actually quite right, was it? Because, of course, this timeline, birth, death, it doesn't actually stop there, does it? It's not, I die and I rot and then I am no more. But actually, this timeline, it carries on. It carries on 
into eternity. It carries on all the way there. I could draw it all the way along. It carries on. And that means that trusting in Christ, you and I can experience being with Jesus forever into eternity after death. It's what Paul says in verse 18. He says, the Lord will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. And you see, it's as I keep my belief in the judgment of Jesus in the future, that this line, as I believe and I trust, that this line keeps on going because I know that Jesus Christ, he conquered death at the first Easter. And so if I'm connected to him, if I'm trusting in him, I know just as Jesus was able to get through death, so he can take me through death to be with him in that heavenly kingdom for eternity. If I believe that, well, then that helps me to keep going in my faith now all the way to the end of my life. And similarly, think back to that first point. It's as my belief in the presence of Jesus in the present. It's my belief that in this life as a Christian, all the way from here to here, all the way, it's my, it's my belief, if I'm believing that it's actually Jesus is present with me in the present, that there's another line alongside me, standing by my side, Jesus Christ with me throughout my life as a Christian. If I believe that Jesus is with me, strengthening me, that again, that belief will help me to live well and finish well as a Christian in my life. In my friend Mark's book, he says one of his, um, his favorite quotes about life um, is from Hunter Thompson. Hunter Thompson was um, this sort of anarchic um, American journalist who, who was famous for writing about rock and roll and had a lifestyle to match. And Hunter Thompson wrote this. He said, life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well-preserved body, but rather to skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, wow, what a ride. <laughs> and you know, there is so much in that quote by Hunter Thompson that the Apostle Paul would totally and utterly agree with. The Apostle Paul would agree with it. He'd say, you're exactly right, Hunter Thompson. He, there's Paul, he's at the end of his life, he's about to die. Paul is totally worn out. Paul is there proclaiming, whoa, what a ride, as he's faced all sorts of wild things. Paul's not arriving at the grave with a pretty, well-preserved body. He's been beaten up, he's been persecuted, he's exhausted, he's endured so much. He has given his all, he's totally done in his Paul. But the difference in Paul's life from Hunter Thompson's is because of Paul's belief in these two things that Hunter Thompson didn't believe in. Because of Paul's belief in the presence of Jesus in the present with him through the highs and lows of life, and because of his belief in the judgment of Jesus in the future that he can, after death, be with Jesus for eternity. It's those two beliefs that make all the difference. Let me finish with a final quote from somebody else who lived a life worn out, a life totally used up, saying at the end of his life, wow, what a ride. Uh, someone who, like Paul, did believe in these two blue lines. Someone we hear of very often here at HTC, William Wilberforce. 
William Wilberforce, the person who was at the forefront of, uh, of the abolition of the slave trade 200 odd years ago, who gave his all, who was often exhausted, who suffered slander, ill health, and being marginalized, who persevered, who kept going with despite illness, despite an ailing body, plenty of opposition. He was a wreck as he died. He'd gone, wow, it's been quite a ride. And this is what William Wilberforce, he died age 73, but this is what he said when he was 29. This is what he said just five years after coming to faith in Jesus. So right at the start, this is what he said. He said, I resolve to endeavor henceforth to live more for the glory of God and the good of my fellow creatures. To live more by rule as in the presence of him by whom I shall finally be judged. Now, as you look at those words up there, just note this. What did, Paul, uh, what did William Wilberforce do? How did William Wilberforce live? He says that he lived life for the glory of God and for the good of other people. That was his focus. That's what he did in life. He lived for the glory of God and for the good of others. But what did he believe that helped him to do that? What did he believe to help him to do that throughout his life in oh so many ways? Well, look at what it says at the end. Look at the end of Wilberforce's quote. This is what he believed. In the presence of him, that's the presence of Jesus, in the present, by whom I shall finally be judged. The judgment of Jesus in the future. And it is a belief in those two same truths that will enable every single one of us here to finish life well as a Christian. That's my prayer for each one of us here. That's what I'm about in my job here, to encourage every single one of us to finish life well as a Christian. To be those that get to that end point, whenever it may be, and say, I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Shall we stand? Let's pray, shall we?